burning. The, the third candle on the Advent wreath is burning. The, the candle of hope. Hope. Do you have any? How well do you keep hope? How quickly does it flee from you? What things steal your hope away? I'm going to tell on myself right now. I was working on this sermon Thursday in a coffee shop, and I took out my phone to use my Bible app, and on my screen, uh, a news article popped up. And the headline of this article was, Millennials are leaving religion and not coming back. That was a pretty hopeless statement to me, but just in case the headline hadn't crushed your hope, they kindly provided a picture to, to help in that effort. And, and the picture with the article was of this beautiful, vast, semicircular sanctuary with soaring ceilings, ceilings twice the height of this one. And the sanctuary looked like it would accommodate 2,000 people. And the sanctuary was dimly lit, and it was totally empty. So, the first sentence of the article. Also, a hope stealer. Millennials have earned a reputation for reshaping industries and institutions, shaking up the workplace, transforming, da transforming dating culture, and rethinking parenthood. And so the implication is now this, this vast and powerful generation is going to crush Christianity. The, it's going to end with them. And the article included lots of statistics supporting that conclusion and phrases like defection and rupture with religion. So my first response to this article is to feel hopeless. Oh no, really? You know, you read that stuff and you think, what's, what's going to happen to the church? This is the end of it. I have this beautiful 17-month-old grandson. You know, what's the future going to be? Shame on me. Don't you think? Shame on me. In the midst of writing a sermon on hope, my hope fled just that quickly and just that easily, but only for a moment. But it did flee. It fled before the statistics that seemed so hard and fast and sure, as if God is bound to statistics, as if God is not above and beyond statistics. What steals your hope? What makes your hope flee? We need to think about those things, and we need to name them. And to remember that whatever they are, God is not bound by them. God is above them. God is beyond them. Therefore, you and I can have hope. God calls us to have hope, always. So therefore, we must be full of hope. And that's what I want us to talk about this morning as we come to our scripture passage. You'll find it in the book of Romans in the New Testament, the 15th chapter. If you're using a pew Bible, it's on page 949. Romans chapter 15, page 949, the pew Bible. If you're using that in your own Bible, when you found your place, let's stand together so we might hear read together the word of the living God. Romans chapter 15, verse 13, this is the word of the Lord. May the God of hope fill you with all joy 
and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for hope. Thank you for your word that tells us what hope is and where we might find it. And Lord, we pray that you would fill us with hope this morning. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As you notice, verse 13 is actually a prayer. Asking God for something. Asking God that he would fill his people with hope. See, in the midst of the instruction, in the midst of his theological explanation, and if you haven't noticed, the book of Romans is pretty dense with instructions and with theology. That's a good thing. But in the midst of all the instructions and all the theology, the Apostle Paul pauses to pray. He prays for believers like us. Do you ever do that? You might be talking with someone. You're discussing a problem and how you might solve it. Maybe you're together talking about someone else's problem, and you kind of talk, and you talk, and you talk, and you figure, and you figure, and then you finally say, you know what? Enough. Enough talking. It's time to bring God into this. And so you take just a few minutes, and you, you stop all the talk, and you just pray. It seems like that's what is going on here. Paul's been talking a lot about hope. Look up in verse 4 of chapter 15. He writes, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. So here, this is beautiful doctrine. Doctrine about Scripture, the Word of God. All of it, Paul tells us, was written so that we might have what? Hope. Look in verse 12. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him, the Gentiles, what? Hope. Beautiful. Theology. About Jesus. He is the root of Jesse. He is the Messiah. He is the one that God planned to send from eternity past so that you and I might have hope. So God has, I mean, Paul has beautifully presented to us that our hope is founded in Scripture, the written Word of God, and it's founded in Jesus Christ, the living Word of God. But now it's time to pray. He's made his presentation to call on God to do what only God can do, to take those propositional truths and make them reality for us. Because I think Paul knows, definitely from the inspiration of Scripture, or the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and probably from his own personal experience, how important hope is for the life of a believer and how quickly hope can be stolen away. One headline, boom, hope flees. One statistic, boom, hope is gone. And so he prays. He prays that God will give hope. Real hope, biblical hope, changes our lives. It does. Real hope, biblical hope, changes how we look at life. It changes how we react to everything that happens to us in our lives and how you and I are going to experience those things. Because that's true. Listen to Paul's prayer at the end of verse 13. He prays that the believers in Rome may abound in hope. Abound in hope. Hope is so vitally important 
that Paul prays that believers will have lots and lots of it, that hope will overflow within them, that they will have hope over and above what they need, hope that, that would spill out and overflow from us and, and overrun what you and I can contain. That's what Paul wants for believers. And that's precisely why Paul must pause to pray right here and right now. Because the essence of hope, the reality of it, cannot be found in us. Hope truly is a God thing. Look at the second half of this verse. Paul prays that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. See, the kind of hope that Paul is talking about here doesn't lie dormant somewhere inside of you. It isn't hibernating hope, waiting for something to to wake it up. True hope is beyond us, and that's why Paul prays. We will only know real hope. We will only know abounding hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. So Paul prays. I think here of Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well. He said to her, everyone who draws water from the well that she's drawing from will be thirsty again. What you can give to yourself, the water you can provide for yourself, isn't satisfying beyond the moment. Drink and drink and drink, and you'll be thirsty again. But the water that Jesus gives is different. He says, whoever drinks the water I give them, will never thirst again. Indeed, the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. And so it is with hope. It comes from a source that we cannot access within ourselves. The kind of hope we come up with won't satisfy. We could see this prayer as a call to stop doing. You know what we do? We, we try to muster up hope. We look into the future. And we try to imagine the, the right scenario involving the, the right people in the right place and the right time. And if we can come up with that scenario, then we have hope. Or the opposite is true. There are some people who just can't imagine anymore. They look to the future and it's dark. They can't picture that scenario the right scenario, with the right people, in the right place, at the right time. And so they are hopeless. No. Biblical hope is better than that. Biblical hope is is better than that. And so you and I must pray for it. Call on the power of the Holy Spirit of God to give us hope. I certainly don't want to be insensitive to people who really struggle, maybe even some of you here, with despair, with hopelessness. These are real feelings. God's people have them. Look at King David in the Bible. He, he's called the man after God's own heart. Read some of his psalms of lament. He definitely had despair. At times, King David lived in depression. Go to the Old Testament and read the story of how David acted after his son, Absalom, was killed. David experienced despair and depression, but he was not consumed 
or destroyed by them. And so we need to hear God's word. Wherever we are with this issue, clearly here, God's people can always have hope. God's people must always have hope. We have this command in Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And so since we're supposed to have hope, since we must have hope, since we must hold on to it unswervingly and without wavering, it's probably a good idea for us to define what this hope is so that all of us are on the same page this morning. Here, here's what, what I find. When we use the word hope in our lives, it is most often with a future orientation. But for an outcome that's not certain. For instance, we say things like this. I hope I'll find a job. I don't know. I'm not certain. I just hope. I hope I'll get married. I don't know. I'm not certain. I, I just hope. Or we say, I hope I'll stay married. I don't know. I'm, I'm not certain. I just hope. We hope we'll have kids. I don't know. I, I'm not certain, but I hope. <laughs> and if we have kids, we hope that they will stay out of jail and off the streets. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not certain, but I hope. I hope they'll follow the Lord, but I don't know. We hope we'll stay healthy. I, I don't know. I'm not I'm certain. I, I just hope. And so when we use hope in this way, the part we get right in, in that is the future orientation of it. That part lines up with Scripture. Hope has a future orientation. That's its focus. Biblical hope looks to the future. The part of our usage of hope that makes us stray and wander away from biblical hope is the uncertainty of it. We don't know for certain if these things will happen, and so we can never truly have peace. We can never truly be at rest because we don't know. Instead, our lives are marked by angst or worry. Now, the problem is that we take our definition, including the uncertainness of it, and we apply that to the word hope when we read that word in Scripture. But our usage of hope is not the same way as how the Bible uses hope. Biblical hope is based on certainty. As the Apostle Paul uses the word here, hope means looking forward to something with reason for confidence that that hope will be realized. I'm going to say that again. As Paul uses the word hope here, it is looking forward to something with reason for confidence that the hope will be realized. Paul's hope is future certainty. Our hope is future uncertainty. So you could say that the way we use hope could better be defined as wishful thinking. We call it hope, but it's not. It's really just wishful thinking. Whereas biblical hope is a settled surety of what will certainly be. Biblical hope is a settled surety of what certainly will be. And why is our hope so certain? Because it's founded on God. Look in verse 13. God is called here the God of hope. It simply means that God is the source of it. It's what God possesses, hope is. It's what God has to give to us. Just as Scripture calls Him the God of peace, He has peace to give to us. Just as Scripture calls God the God of all comfort, He has comfort to give to us. 
And so he is the God of hope. He's the source of it, and he gives it to his people. Our hope must always find its source and its foundation in God. Otherwise, it isn't hope. If it's not based on God, it's not hope. It's just wishful thinking. If our hope comes from any other source, it isn't real hope. And, and you know that as well as I do. If we look to someone else as a reason for hope, we know our hope won't last because we know that person is going to disappoint us. That person is going to fail to be the person you hope they will be. Or their behavior that you thought you could always count on, I can always depend on that person, suddenly changes. They've never acted this way before and you don't know what to do. And the rug is pulled out from under you and your hope vanishes. Things in our lives change. I don't even need to list all the ways that happens. Jesus put it simply enough when he said, Moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Some form of that happens to all the stuff in our lives. And when something happens to our stuff, our hope disappears. Maybe we put our hope in our hard work. You know, if, we hope, if, we, if we work hard enough, we hope it'll pay off. But as we saw a couple of weeks ago when we looked at the book of Haggai, that isn't always the case. Those people were working hard. They were working diligently and they hoped that their hard work would pay off. But what was the reality? And it wouldn't you know, a drought came along. And God said to those hardworking people, you looked for, you hoped for much. And behold, it became little. This is why God must always be the base of hope. For us, because everything and everyone in our lives, without exception, is uncertain. Everything, everyone in our lives is uncertain. Only God is sure, ever faithful, ever sure. And so the hope that really makes a difference in your life, the hope that makes a difference in my life, especially when we need hope, it's got to be based on God. It's got to have God as His source. As its source. And so here's some good news about that. God, the source of hope, is vast. He is immense. We never get to the end of Him. Giving hope is not a problem to God. Look in your bulletin, if you will. We read earlier this morning under God's will from Psalm 33. So, so you can follow along there or you can turn in your uh, Bible to Psalm 33. It's on page 4. 63 in the Pew Bible, because Psalm 33 ties together hope with the vastness of God. Look there in, in verse 13 in, in your Bible or, or at the beginning in your bulletin. It says that the Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of men. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth he who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. See, this is a picture of the immensity of God. God is so big, He looks down from heaven. And He's so immense that He can see everything at once. Look at the language here. He sees all people, all humanity. He sees all their deeds, even at that great distance. And He doesn't even have to stand up to do it. He stays seated on His throne. You and I, we need a powerful telescope, right? 
You know, we use it when we look up at the universe, but we can't see it all. We only see a, a fraction of the universe. There remains things of, of which we are still uncertain, and we're uncertain because we don't know. And we don't know because we can't see or because we haven't yet discovered. And so that reminds us that we can't base our hope on anything we can do. We can only hope in our God, who is immense and vast, who can see all things. And then having established the, the, the vastness of God, the psalmist turns his attention to humans, people like you and me, how we think, how we hope. And so he writes in verses 16 and 17, The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. See, the king, along with everyone else, believes that his hope lies in the greatness of his army. And so the king thinks, hmm, since my army is strong, I have great hope that my kingdom will be secure. The warrior thinks, hmm, since my strength is great, I have great hope that I will not be defeated in battle. And these are logical and reasonable assumptions. Based on the odds, it seems that you could be fairly hopeful in either of these situations. Huge army, strong warriors, we're all good here. Move on to the next thing. But what's God's assessment? Look in verse 17. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might, it cannot save. You and I better pay attention right here, because you and I can have false hope, hope that seems real, hope that seems reasonable. The word false here means deception or lie. It's a deceptive hope. And the only reason deception is effective is because it appears plausible. It appears possible. It seems real. Oh, look, look, look at that mighty war horse. It looks like something I can place my hope in. No, God says. You, you're deceived. It's a false hope for salvation. And so when I read verses like this, I'm always left wondering, what deceives me? What deceives me? Do you ever think about that? Think about things in your life that, that deceive you? Things that give you false hope? I know we depend on our reason. I know we depend on our logic. I know we lean on statistics. And when we do, I, I know this, we are setting ourselves up for disappointment and hopelessness. Something might work 99% of the time, but there still remains that 1% when it doesn't work. And when you happen to be in that 1%, what happens to your hope? Where is your surety for the future? See, God is beyond the statistics. God is beyond our ability to reason out. God defies human logic, especially with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God himself coming in the flesh to pay for the sins that were committed against him, it's not logical. 
God's beyond logic, beyond reason, beyond statistics. And that's why he must be the source of our hope. Psalm 33 continues. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. So if you and I are going to have hope always, and not just sometimes, and not just when the statistics happen to favor us and be on our side, then you and I better keep our eyes on the Lord. We have to stay focused on His vastness. We have to know that He is the only one who is 100% always. John Piper says, Hope is something that should not waver because it is rooted in the faithfulness of God. There should be certainty in it because the will and purpose of God are like iron, not chalk. I love it. Hope based on God doesn't crumble. Back in Romans 4, Paul describes Abraham like this. He was fully convinced, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And so when Abraham looked to the future, when he looked to his future, he hoped for a son. And Abraham's hope was not wishful thinking. He was certain that he would have a son because God promised that he would. And yet, the years ticked by, year after year, and Abraham and his wife Sarah did not have a son. And yet, Romans 4.18 says, Abraham hoped against hope. Abraham hoped against hope. Earthly hope said to Abraham, give up. Abraham, you're too old and your almost 90-year-old wife is barren. Give up all hope of having a son. But Abraham's hope was against that kind of reasonable, logical, statistical, earthly hope. Against it, in opposition to it. Abraham hoped biblically because his hope was based on the character of God and not the reason of man, which says old Barren women don't have babies. It's a biological impossibility. Abandon hope. But with God, guess what? There's always hope. And so old barren women do have babies. Virgins do not conceive and bear a son. A son who is Emmanuel, God in the flesh. God with us. Abandon hope. But with God, there's always hope. So a virgin can and does conceive and bear a son. The dead don't come back to life. When they're dead, it's over. Abandon hope. But with God, there's always hope. And so three days, after three days, the dead did come back to life. Jesus rose up out of the grave. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Now you're doing your job. That is our part. Believing. Believing God equals having hope. Believing God equals having hope. Look at this verse one last time. Paul prays, May the God of hope 
fill you with all joy and peace in believing. In believing. See, that's our job. Believing is what we do. It's what we do when we read the headlines. We believe in our vast God and in the certainty of His promises. Believe is what we do when we read that a generation has defected and ruptured with religion. We believe in our vast and immense God and we believe in His promises. God will build His church upon the good news of Jesus Christ, that He is the Son of the living God and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's certain, no matter what the headlines say. Believe, it's what we do when we're not part of the 99% for whom it worked. But instead, we're part of the 1% for whom it did not work. We believe. We believe, as the Heidelberg Catechism says, that I am not my own, but belong, both body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? If you believe that, then you and I have hope, certain hope. Because we believe that God will do all He promised, so we hope. We believe that there is more for us than this life, and so we hope, because God promised. We believe that all the promises of God find their yes, their amen, their answer in Jesus Christ, and so we hope. We believe that our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, is alive, and that He will come again with great glory, and so we have hope. We believe that where Jesus is, He will take us to be there so that we will be forever with Him, so we hope. And our hope is not wishful thinking. Our hope is certain because of the promises of God, and so we must believe. Listen, this is a day of good news, right? This is a day of great hope. Hope in Christ, who is the hope of the world. And it's a hope that we cannot keep to ourselves. Let this burning candle remind us of this. We have hope, hope in Jesus, and we must share the light of that hope with others. There are lots of hopeless people around us. They need the good news of Jesus Christ and hope in Him. So go, go tell it, go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born, that He lives forevermore, that He's coming again, God promised, have hope. And let's pray. Father in heaven, we do pray now that our hope would be founded on you. Lord, thank you for the hope that we have. There is no doubt. There's no doubt about our future. It's not uncertain. It's so clear because it's based on your promises. Lord God, you came to earth yourself to, to bring about the answer to that. We said earlier, Lord, we sinned against you. We're the guilty party. We're at fault. We've offended you, and yet you came in the flesh to make payment for the sin that we committed against you so that we might be with you forever and ever, people whose sins are forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you for that, Lord. It couldn't be more certain. You confirmed it with your own blood. Thank you. And so, Lord, help us live as people of hope. As we look to the future, may it not be veiled in darkness to us. The details of it, yes. What's going to happen the next minute, we don't know. But Lord, ultimately, we do know. and We have great hope. 
uh, for what awaits us. And it's based on your promises, you tell us. And so our future is secure with you forever and ever. Lord, in, in view of that, there's not much that we can't face and endure in this life. We pray now that you would give us strength to believe, strength to believe your promises. And we pray, Lord, that you would fill us with the power of the Holy Spirit so that we might abound in hope that's based on you, founded on your promises. Make us hopeful people, no matter what. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.